0: Good morning. Uh, Good to be here with you guys. Uh, Great to see you all here. Uh, To see that the rain didn't scare you off. Uh, It's good that you're here uh, to worship the Lord. Uh, Before we get into the Word, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our elementary age children to their Sunday school classrooms at this time. And so if you're a first through fifth grader, or if you're a Sunday school teacher for the first through fifth grade, you need to go with them. (laughs) As the children make their way out, if you guys want to uh, start making your way to the final chapter of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, that'd be good. Uh, as you start to make your way there, I want to—they I, call it a retraction, right? When you print something and then you have to go back and correct it. I have a, a bit of a retraction to make. Uh, last week, I was talking about the NIV, and I had you guys raise your hand if you're an NIV reader and. I said, oh, the NIV reads this way. Uh, and I was mis- partly mistaken. I'll explain. So my, I have the NIV Bible uh, as well that I read through. Uh, uh, it's the version that came out in 1984. Okay? And then uh, they came out with a new revision in the mid-2000s, and they called it the Today's NIV, TNIV. Okay, and then what happened is uh, the TNIV, people didn't like it. Everybody liked the old NIV uh, better. And so in 2011, they republished the NIV with corrections and with some modifications, uh, a blend of the TNIV and the old 1984 NIV version. And so if you had a 2011 or newer version of the NIV, yours read just like everybody else has read. But if you're reading from a 1984 version, which I was, it read differently. So I saw some. I talked to some people that were in IV, and they're like, yeah, it said just what you said. And I talked to other people that were in IV, and they're like, it didn't say that at all. I thought, okay, I need to just explain. So uh, that's my culpa, uh, you know, the, my fault. Gomenasai. Uh, uh, for those of you who are looking at it and just were puzzled the whole entire time, wondering why I was saying that, and didn't get to listen to really the message, I'm sorry. Um... I'll try to do better next time. I'll, I'll make sure I read all my different versions of the NIV, okay? All right. Today, we are going to cover the opening 10 verses of chapter 28. Uh, we have been making our way through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We find ourselves in the final chapter. Uh, part of me is excited. Part of me is kind of like, oh, it's coming to an end. i I think a lot of you guys are probably excited that we're you know, going to be going on to something else. Just so you guys know, we've been praying about what to do after the book of Matthew. Um, and I like to kind of go through uh, the Bible uh, just book by book. But when we get to the Gospels, you, we don't do the, I don't want to do all four Gospels in a row. So we do Matthew and then you do a couple books of the New Testament. And then you come back and do Mark and do a couple more books of the New Testament and make your way through. So we are going to go into the book of Acts. After our completion of Matthew chapter 20, I'm really looking forward uh, to studying through the book of Acts with you guys. It's a great book, Uh, really just uh, um, following the, the footsteps of the first century church. And seeing really, uh, you know, different versions of the uh, Bible will title it differently uh, the Acts of the Apostles, or some refer to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And so we're going to see uh, in the book of Acts some incredible things uh, at Pentecost, uh, the uh, giving of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowering the believers uh, to do incredible things, to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. And it ought to be a great time. I hope you guys are uh, excited about going through the book of Acts as. As excited as I am at least. All right? All right. Back to Matthew 28. We uh, last looked, uh, last week we looked at many of the events that correlated with what took place after Jesus's crucifixion upon the cross of Calvary. Today we will look at what happened a, a couple days later. Uh, today uh, we will be covering uh, the resurrection. Hey, and and I thought to myself, well, I didn't plan this very well. I should have, like, did a couple of special messages or really drawn it out a little bit. And then I could have done the resurrection message on Easter, like a month from now. But you're just going to get resurrection message again in a month. But I'll go from the book of John. I already know I'm going to go from John this uh, Easter. So it will be a little different, a different angle that we'll be looking at uh, for our time in Easter. Okay? All right. we're going to, to pay close attention as we look at this op- these opening 10 verses. We're going to pay close, pay close attention to a group of ladies that have made their way to the tomb of the Savior early Sunday morning, hoping and planning to do one thing, but coming across something infinitely better and more glorious. Okay? You there? Matthew chapter 28? All right. Will you please stand as we read God's Word? <coughs> Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read verses 1 uh, through 10. Matthew, continuing his account, verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and indeed He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring His disciples' word. Verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and and this opportunity to to go through it. Lord, to uh, learn from it, to... Uh, Lord, not just to to read uh, an account. Probably many here have read before. Uh, as we think and, and consider the resurrection, Lord, um, as Nick prayed, may our hearts and ears just be uh, uh, just fresh this morning. That you would uh, speak to us, and Father, that we would have uh, just an openness to what you want to do, what you want to say. Through your word. Lord, lead and guide us. We uh, uh, again give thanks for your word. We ask for your blessings upon our time. We pray for blessings upon all the other churches and chapels that are meeting here this morning in Iwakuni. Lord, we pray a great work of your spirit uh, amongst them as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. When we last left off, we were on Friday, uh, and our and our opening verse begins on the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, which is Sunday. Uh, the Sabbath began on Friday at sundown and would end Saturday at sundown, so first light early on Sunday morning would be the earliest time that anybody could come to see the tomb while still observing the Sabbath law. Hey, Joe, can you turn me down just a little bit? I'm a little echoey. I'm getting feedback. Hopefully that... Can you still hear me over there, All Alright, wonderful. Um, Two ladies are mentioned by name as coming to see the tomb. Mary Magdalene and... Uh, the other Mary, uh, and we know from other gospel accounts that she uh, is known as the mother of James and Joseph. Um, from other gospel accounts, we also know that these were not o- only uh, the these were n- not the only ladies that were present there early on Sunday morning. Uh, Mark's gospel tells us that Salome was there. Remember, we looked at Salome last week. She was the mother of uh, James and John, the disciples of Jesus. She was there as well. Um, Luke's gospel tells us that there was a lady there by the name of Joanna. uh, And uh, actually that there was other unnamed women as well that were there. So a a good-sized group of ladies have gathered uh, together to come to the tomb. For some reason, Matthew only mentions uh, the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. These ladies are, are the same ladies that we looked at last week. You guys may recall we, uh, they were there at the crucifixion looking on from afar. Actually, specifically, Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they actually followed Joseph of Merrimathea as he took the body of Jesus Christ to wrap it in the linens, to lay it in his tomb. The ladies were there. It tells us in verse 61 that they were there sitting opposite of the tomb, watching as Joseph rolled that large stone uh, across and against the door of the garden tomb, shutting off the entrance to the tomb, and then departing the garden. Mary uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they were there across from the tomb, uh, the garden tomb, watching this as it all unfolded. These ladies, according to Mark's gospel, had, had bought and prepared spices to be used in anointing the dead body of Jesus Christ. Mark 16.1 tells us that. John's gospel, interestingly, John's gospel tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, Okay, we didn't mention that, but Nicodemus was with Joseph of Arimathea, the same Nicodemus that came to Jesus in the middle of the night in John chapter 3 and asked that famous question, how can a man be born again? That Nicodemus was there, and he brought with him a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes that were used together with the linens to bound the body of Jesus Christ. John 19.39 gives us those details. Now, why these ladies felt it necessary to bring their own spices to anoint the body of Jesus is a little bit of a mystery. We don't know exactly why, but some speculate that as they watched... Joseph and Nicodemus wrapped the body that perhaps they were rushed, okay? And they weren't able to do the very best job as uh, the Sabbath was quickly uh, coming upon them. And uh, in order to follow the Sabbath rules, they couldn't be doing work. And those types of things like anointing a no dead body would be constituted as work. Even touching uh, the dead body would be uh, no good, make you unclean for the Sabbath. And so perhaps some speculate that maybe they did a fast job, um, I don't, I don't see why girls would look at a guy and say they did a fast job and it needs to be redone. But maybe that's what happened. Um, some uh, others suggest that maybe the wrapping and the anointing of the body happened outside of the view of the ladies. Uh, and Matthew's account just says that they saw where they laid him. Uh, maybe they didn't see the preparation and the aloes and things like that. That did go into wrapping uh, the Jesus' body. And so... Um, Perhaps some suggest that they were just unaware of the aloes and the myrrh that were used by Joseph and Nicodemus, and so they wanted to bring their own. Still, others, and I kind of lean more towards this idea here, uh, simply suggest that, that this was something personal that the ladies wanted to do um, as a token of their love and their devotion to the Lord. It was uh, uh, to them an act of service that they wanted to do regardless of, or, or, of whether or not Joseph and Nicodemus did a good job or if they did, a, you know, did it at all. It was just something that they wanted to do um, for their Lord to offer to Him as an act of service. And I, like I said, I tend to believe that it was just that their way of serving and, and honoring the Lord, you know, this, an act of service that they desired to render out of love for Him. As these ladies made their way to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, there was one thing that stood in the way that could potentially prevent them from performing their act of service unto the Lord. Mark records for us that these ladies, as they were walking and talking amongst themselves, making their way to the tomb, that they were very concerned about how they were going to get to the body. Okay? The the stone was very large, and they were not certain if they would be able to roll away the stone by themselves. Mark chapter 16 records it for us. They said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? You know, And so there was this concern, uh, this obstacle that was in the way. And even though they weren't sure how... Uh, how they would overcome this obstacle or who would help them overcome this obstacle, it didn't stop them from coming to offer that service to the Lord. Sometimes in life, uh, there may, be, uh, may, may seem like there are obstacles in the way that prevent us from coming to the Lord to offer our service to Him. Some think that they are limited uh, limited by their, uh, by their abilities, or maybe more accurately, they, they would try and limit them by their inabilities. Right? I, you know, people would say uh, things like, you know, I can't serve the Lord because, you know, I can't play any musical instruments, or, or I really don't, I sing in the shower only and that's it, and I really don't feel comfortable getting up in front of other people. Um, some think that they're limited by time. They feel like that they just don't have enough time in the day to, to really serve the Lord and to give the Lord uh, their best. Uh, their life is just so full. Okay? And, I, and I've heard people talk and mention things like there's just no way they could fit in offering to serve the Lord in the church. You know, I've got a full-time job and then my off time is spent trying to take care of my family and, and just trying to catch my breath. These these ladies, they give to us a great example to follow and to learn from, I believe. These ladies, they didn't let a perceived obstacle prevent them from coming to offer their services to the Lord. You know, even though they didn't know how they were going to get to the body of Jesus uh, to anoint it, they didn't let that, let that stop them from coming. Some of you do have obstacles, And I know that some of you have a lot on your plate. And coming to serve the Lord can be a difficult thing for you to do. Some obstacles, though, I I, want to speak a little bluntly if I can. I think some obstacles uh, are are more uh, real than others. I I think sometimes, even maybe even oftentimes, obstacles we think that are preventing us from serving the Lord, uh, there really aren't obstacles as much as they are excuses. For why we don't serve, or why we don't help out, or why we don't get plugged in and, and involved. Consider what it is that's preventing you from coming to offer your services to the Lord. How big of an obstacle is it? Is it too big for the Lord to handle? Is it, is it something that God can't work around? For these ladies, as we look at this, it was a huge stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb. That huge stone stood between them and their ability to serve the Lord, but they didn't prevent that, didn't allow that to prevent them from coming. They came. Even though they didn't know for certain how it was all going to work out, they still came. And I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe you need to just come to the Lord and stop. Letting obstacles, perceived or actual, keep you from bringing your service to Him. These ladies didn't let anything keep them from offering their gifts to the Lord, and we shouldn't either. Verse 2 and through, two through 4 will continue. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Another earthquake shook the land of Jerusalem. You guys remember last week we looked at that. Uh, this, uh, there was a, an earthquake at the crucifixion. Okay, this time seemingly initiated by the act of an angel from heaven coming down and rolling back the stone from the door of the tomb. Some people trying to say, oh, the earthquake was what rolled the tomb away, you know, the, the stone away, but that's not what it says. It says that the earthquake happened because the angel came and rolled away the tomb the, the tomb, the door to the tomb. Okay, this wasn't just a oh look, the earthquake shaked open the door. That's not what happened. Okay, the angel came rolled back the tomb, uh, the stone, and then there was an earthquake. As I mentioned, just a a few days prior, Jesus Christ died upon the cross. He gave up his spirit, and there was another earthquake that shook the grounds and split open rocks. And and perhaps others around the area thought that this was maybe just an aftershock of some sorts. But this was more than just an aftershock. This was creation's announcement that the grave was empty. As the angel would come down, roll back the the stone, and and present an empty grave. The angel that came and rolled back the stone from the tomb did not do so to let Jesus out, but he did so to let the disciples, to let the ladies in, that they might see that the tomb was indeed empty. Jesus didn't need the help of the angel. He wasn't knocking on the rock saying, get me out of here. That, That wasn't what happened. The, the, the angel rolled it back so that we could look in. Not so Jesus could get out. The Lord sent an angel to take care of the obstacle that potentially would keep them from bringing their act of service to the Lord. I like that. Okay? I believe God will do that in our lives as well. Okay? No obstacle is too big for the Lord to overcome. God is able to take care of the obstacles in our life so that we can come to Him and offer to Him our service. I believe that. And I hope that you would as well. I, I really like the picture that is created in my mind. I, as I mentioned many times when I read through the text, I always try and picture myself as like a, a fly on a rock or you know, just a person behind the scenes checking things out. And as I create this picture in my mind's eye, uh, I imagine this angel just sitting on top of the rolled away stone. I think it's an interesting picture to, to consider. And, it's not as if this is some secret breakout, okay, and everyone's fleeing. It's like, okay, the, it's, it's opened up, let's get out of here now, right? That's not the scene. He's not hiding as if he were in fear of being caught, like, oh, I, I opened it up, you know. I imagine that he's sitting there, and I imagine that there might be, even be a smile upon his face as he sits atop this large stone filled with joy, no doubt, over the risen Son of God just sitting there on top of this rock. The angel's appearance is described as like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. You know, Jesus, when he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, was similarly described. Uh, It's interesting that the word used here for countenance, it actually doesn't speak of an actual physical form when it says that his countenance was like lightning. Okay? It, it, it speaks of more of an idea of a form. Okay? As if the light around the angel was so bright that you could barely make out the form uh, of, of the angel. And, and so, because the angel was just so bright, this, this light that was radiating from the angel, you had to, to use your mind to fill in just what the angel really looked like. That's what it means when it says that he... His countenance, that word countenance. It's not his appearance, physical appearance, but this idea of in your mind's eye, you had to kind of put it together because you couldn't take it all in. As the angel appeared and rolled back the stone, the Roman guards that were there were terrified, okay? And they were shaking just like the ground that was underneath them was shaking, Recall that these guards, they were placed there by the request of the chief priests and Pharisees. We looked at that last week. During the Sabbath, they approached Pilate and they made a request to have the tomb sealed and made secure. Pilate allowed them to use Roman soldiers to stand guard at the tomb. The religious leaders, they actually speculated, according they went to Pilate, that... Um, Jesus' disciples may show up and try to steal the body away. You know, the job that these Roman soldiers were asked to do was pretty simple. They were asked to keep a dead body from leaving its tomb. To them, I'm sure this seemed to be one of the simplest tasks ever given to them. You know, hey, is there a, a sign up for this? We can do this regularly, you know, type of an idea. It wasn't hard. I imagine these Roman soldiers were told to be on the lookout for anybody suspicious snooping around the tomb, but, but I don't think that they were prepared for what they encountered. Verse 4 tells us, this tells us that these Roman guards, they became like dead men. The Greek word for the dead uh, used here is the word nekros. Okay? Uh, it's associated with the idea of a corpse. Okay? Now, most likely these men turned pale and fainted, collapsing in fear, left unconscious. Their unresponsive bodies lied there looking like unburied corpses. That's the idea of that word there. These are Roman soldiers. They wouldn't spook easily, but yet the the sight of this angel was just too much for them to handle, and they were like dead men, just fainted there on the ground. Verse 5, and... Part of six says but the angel answered and said to the women do not be afraid for i know that you seek jesus who was crucified he is not here for he is risen as he said we'll stop right there we'll pause the appearance of the angel and the rolling away of the stone did not happen while the ladies were present okay uh, it happened prior to their arrival as they arrived on scene Okay. The ladies looked up and they saw that the tomb, the stone, had been rolled away, and then the tomb was open. Okay. the other gospel accounts they actually seem to indicate to us that the angel who opened the tomb and had been sitting upon the top of the uh, was no longer visible as the ladies approached the tomb. Okay, uh, and, and as the ladies approached the tomb, they went to enter into the tomb, and it's there that they are greeted by. An angel. Okay? And the angel says to the ladies, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. The very first thing he tells the ladies is, is not to be afraid. Okay? Uh, obviously, uh, the ladies must have been startled by the angel. They, they're like, What's going on? And they go to check out the tomb, and there's an angel inside the tomb uh, as they go to peek in there, and he's like, Hey, you know, uh, he says, do not be afraid. Uh, The angel indicates uh, also, I I like this. The angel indicates that he knows why the ladies had come and he knows that they were seeking Jesus. I like that. These, These ladies, they were seeking Jesus again, even though they were, there were obstacles, even though they didn't have everything figured out. They still sought Jesus. And I think just what a great example these women are for those who seek Jesus. Okay? That we would be like them and follow that example to seek Jesus. Knowing that they were seeking after Jesus, Jesus the angel informs the woman, he's no longer here. Okay? He has risen. This, it, it, uh, of course, is the, mes- mes- the message of the resurrection. Jesus Christ was no longer dead. He wasn't a dead corpse lying in a tomb. He was risen and alive and he had departed from the tomb. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel message that we teach, we preach, and believe upon. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is paramount to our faith in Christ. And we're going to spend more time upon the resurrection in a month, so we're not going to go into great detail, but I do want to highlight just a few things regarding the resurrection. Okay? The crucifixion and the resurrection are the two main events that our faith depends upon. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the payment made on our behalf. By Jesus Christ. He paid for the penalty of the sins of all humanity. Your sins and mine, they were paid for upon the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ. That is what we believe the crucifixion is. Okay, the resurrection, if you will, is the receipt of that said transaction. The resurrection was God's way of proclaiming that the payment was sufficient that the, the, the debt had been paid in full, and here's proof of it, the resurrection. We have the payment on the crucifixion, we have the receipt in the resurrection, proof that this was sufficient. And, and I think it's really important. Okay, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a non-negotiable miracle of our faith. I, I think sometimes we we forget about how incredible that really is. That we believe that someone was dead, buried three days, three nights, as they say in the Jewish term, he was there, and then rose from the dead and walked around for some 50 days afterwards and then ascended into heaven. That is incredible. And some people might think, you guys are crazy for believing that kind of stuff. But the resurrection Is non negotiable. We have to believe the resurrection. You know, early on in the church, there were some that started to doubt the resurrection. There were some that were going around saying that there there is no resurrection of the dead. Paul quickly and sharply rebuked such thinking and sayings. I want you guys, if you can, turn real fast to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Okay, If you get to 2 Corinthians, you went too far. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is addressing this, this idea, these sayings that there are people in the church that were saying, there really isn't a resurrection. Okay? That's kind of crazy. You don't want to believe in that kind of stuff because no one's going to take you serious if you believe in the resurrection. And so, Paul, he addresses this saying, and I'm going to read a good little ch- chunk here, 10 verses uh, uh, starting in uh, chapter 15, verse 12. Chapter 15, verse 12 of First Corinthians. Paul is writing, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all, all men the most pitiable. Verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. The resurrection is, you can't do without it. Paul, he builds the case that if there's no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. Our preaching is empty, our faith is empty. We are found to be false witnesses of God. According to Paul, our faith would be futile. That word futile means that it would have no purpose, that it would be vain, that it would be fruitless aimless, and we would still be hopelessly lost in our sin. But Christ indeed did rise. And that's the message that we preach. That's the message that we hold on to, that there is a resurrection. And because He is risen, as He says there at the latter part of 1 Corinthians 15, because there is... A, a, a risen Savior, we have the assurance that one day we too will rise to be with Him forever in eternity. We believe in, in, in life after death. That is, that's our faith. Without it, we don't have a faith. The resurrection, you don't you can't budge on that, Okay. okay I know sometimes it's hard to talk with people and, and they might say, You believe that, you know, people died and rose back from the dead and you know, yeah, that's what I believe. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's the hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, that the resurrection is what it what it says it is it's Jesus Christ risen from the grave defeating death defeating giving us victory over sin the angel's message at the end it, it, uh, gets tagged with something that i i believe is of great importance he's it says he's not here for he has risen as he said jesus on numerous different occasions spoke of his resurrection Matthew, just in Matthew, looking at Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Matthew chapter 17, just another cha- one more chapter over, verses 22 and 23. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And the third day He will be raised up. Matthew chapter 20. Verse 18 and 19. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Numerous occasions he told them that he would rise from the dead. On the third day, Jesus fulfilled the words that he spoke. He backed up his own words by defeating death and rising over the grave. Why is that important? Why do I highlight that? I highlight it because if Jesus was able to keep his word about rising from the dead, you know what it gives to us an assurance that he's able to keep all of the other promises that he gave. That all the other words that he shared, that they too will come to pass. It becomes evidence that's used to prove to us that all of the promises of God that they can be trusted. Second Peter chapter one verse four speaks of uh, about how we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Okay, exceedingly great and precious promises. These promises of God, we can trust that they are going to come to pass because Jesus keeps His Word. We can trust in the Word of God. When we're going through tough times, when we're going through great times, whenever it may be, when we go to the Word and we read of the promises of God, we can trust them. We can be confident in them. Let's continue here. Verse 6, it says, pick up where I left off. It says, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead, and indeed He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. The angel invited the women to come and see where the Lord lay. John's Gospel tells us what was in the tomb. It actually wasn't completely empty. Anybody know what was in the tomb? There was a shroud, the linens that he was wrapped in, and there was a a handkerchief that was wrapped around his head that was there. Uh, You can read about that in John chapter 20. It tells us uh, that the linen clothes were lying there along with a handkerchief that had been around his head, and it was actually folded up neatly and placed on the side. You know the grave clothes of Jesus were were left behind like an empty cocoon, and and they served as further evidence of his resurrection. Okay, if someone went in and took the body, they're not going to unwrap it all, okay? Because then it would get all over them, right? They're it's, they're going to grab it and just pull it out. But no, the linens were there, and and it, it, crazy enough, uh, you know, as you look at it, uh, the linens they weren't torn into pieces uh, as if someone was hurrying up and, and going through there and struggling or wrestling over these strips. Uh, quite the opposite, in fact, you know, that the handkerchief is, is neatly folded and placed on the side next to the empty strips of cloth. After seeing for themselves the, the empty tomb, that Jesus was not in the tomb, they, the, the left behind linens, the angel then tells them to go quickly And tell his disciples. I like the connection between the invitation and the instruction that the angel gives. Okay? Look back at that for a second here. The angel first invites the women to come and see. And then he instructs them to go and tell. You know, it's important that we realize that these things need to go hand in hand. That one should not be done without the other if we simply come and see the place where He lay, and we come to realize the wonderful truth of Christ's resurrection, His victory over sin and death, and we come and see that His victory has been passed on to us and to all who would believe upon Him, but yet not go and tell anyone, how horrible of a person would we be to know that victory has been won That a way has been granted for us and to all who would also come and see and not tell anyone? I'd say that's extremely selfish on the light side. Uh, And some would say that it's downright hateful. There's a video out there of a famous atheist that suggests that very thing. This famous atheist, he questions, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? You know, I don't make it a practice to work into my sermons the quotes of atheists, but there's a bit of shock value here is, and there's a little bit of truth to the conclusion that this man comes to. If we know that eternal life has been made available to all people but don't bother to tell anyone, isn't that wrong? It'd be like, it, trying to picture it, okay? it'd be like discovering a cure for cancer and then not telling anybody. While the whole world is dying of cancer. You've got the cure, but you're not going to tell anybody. What kind of person would do that? Just as as coming and seeing shouldn't be done alone, neither should going and telling. If we go and tell without first coming and seeing, what are we really going to talk about? We need to come and see what God has done, and we need to come and see what God is doing, and then go and tell others about it. You know, in the book of 2 Samuel, there's an interesting account of a young man uh, by the name of Ahimaaz. The son of David, Absalom, has led a revolt against his father and a, and a battle ensued. Joab, the leader of David's army, had blown the trumpet signaling the end of the battle. And Ahimaz wanted to run and tell the news to King David. Joab, however, would not let Ahimaaz run to deliver the news because he told him, you don't have any news to deliver. But Ahimaz persisted and persisted. Eventually, Joab allowed him to run to David with a message. And ahimaaz he went quickly. He ran. Man, He there was actually someone that was sent out in front of him, and he ran past that guy and actually got to David before the other guy did. And he gets there to David, he, and he delivers a message, the victory to David. You know, God's blessed, you know, Joab's coming back with the victory. But then David starts asking about the details of the battle. And specifically, he wants to know about his son, Absalom. And he says, is Absalom alive or is he dead? And and, and Ahima's, all Ahima's could say was, "Um, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. That was his response to David. Ahimaaz didn't come and, and see first. He didn't take the time to investigate. He didn't take the time to look in to find out the details before he went and, and, and talked, before he went and told. He didn't have anything uh, 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 really of substance to bring to the king. And you know, I think the same can be true of us sometimes. We may have a heart to go and tell others, but we don't know what to say, we don't know how to answer the questions. That people may have as you start to deliver the message and that's why it's so important to first come and see to spend time with the Lord to seek the Lord to see what he's done and to see what he's doing then we would have a message to proclaim If we don't come and see first, then how can we properly relay God's message? You know, we need to be a people that receive the invitation of the angel to come and see, but we also need to be a people that will follow the instructions of the angel to go and tell. They go hand in hand. We need to be people that come and see and go and tell. The angel declared the message that the women were to give to the disciples Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. The message of the resurrection was to be sent to his disciples along with a reminder about a meeting that he had told them about previously. Okay? Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he told the disciples that they would all be made to stumble because of him. You guys remember that, right? And then Peter says, not me, right? All oh, boastfully, you know, they all. But not me. Okay? And Jesus told them at that time that they had all been made to stumble, but that after he was raised, he would go before them into Galilee. Matthew chapter 26, verse 32. And Jesus did indeed keep his word yet again, and he met the disciples in Galilee, and we'll read about that next week. Verse 8. And so they went out quickly, the ladies, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. That word fear is just awe and astonishment. They're just blown away. They're amazed. And they ran to bring his disciples' word. The ladies received the message, and they went out quickly with fear and great joy, running to bring news to the disciples. You know, the fact that Jesus would use this group of women To be the first heralds of the good news of Jesus' resurrection is quite interesting to me. Why these women? Why were they chosen to be the ones to deliver the message of the gospel to the disciples? Couldn't God send another angel to the disciples to deliver the news? Why these women? Although the text doesn't tell us exactly, I'd like to speculate a, a little here. Spend some time thinking and considering this. Why were these women chosen to deliver the good news of the resurrection? Different people, uh, commentators, have different thoughts and different ideas, and they suggest different things. Some suggest that perhaps it was because these ladies, they showed great devotion to the Lord. Okay. These ladies, they were the last ones there on the scene at the cross and into the night as Jesus' body was placed in the tomb. And they were the first ones there at the tomb Sunday morning. Man, they were the last ones to leave, the first ones to get there. They were just totally devoted to the Lord. And the devotion of these ladies, it's admirable. And perhaps God was looking to reward their sincere devotion and allow them the privilege of being the first to proclaim Christ's victory over death and sin. possible. Some suggest that it may have been seen as a work of the Lord to redeem women in general. For way back in the Garden of Eden, it was the woman that was deceived. She was tricked by the serpent, and she ate and she shared it with Adam, and he ate too, her deception led to sin and death entering into this world. And here in another garden, the, the garden tomb, the death that entered the world because of her transgression has been defeated. And woman is now given the blessing of proclaiming the life of Jesus Christ. Perhaps that, that's possibility. Okay? Others wonder if perhaps this is yet another example of God choosing the weak things of this world to put to shame the mighty. And ladies, hold on for a second, okay? Peter in his epistle tells us that the woman is the weaker vessel. The context of which is in regard to the marriage. Okay, it does not imply anything of value regarding women. It's a matter of place and position 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And, and so some speculate, perhaps it was God using the, the weak of the world, using women to proclaim this great truth, to, to put to shame all of the mighty And although many of these speculations have some weight to them and maybe some merit, some more than others, I don't think any of them are the biggest reason why these women were chosen. Here's here's what I've come to believe based upon my own study. God chose these women over anyone and, and everyone else at God's disposal simply because they were there. These women showed up to the tomb to serve the body of Christ and God decided, I'll use them. It wasn't necessarily because they were being rewarded for their great devotion. And it wasn't necessarily because God had chosen uh, the weak things of this world to put to shame the mighty. Nor do I think it was so much a work of redemption for all women as, as much as it was that these women showed up and they were there. I don't want to belittle it, but I think it's really important. Because here's what I believe. I truly believe that God uses people who show up. The people that are most often used are the ones who gather around the body of Christ and they desire to minister to the body of Christ, even as these women did. John Corson, a a favorite pastor and, and teacher of mine, he teaches at Applegate Christian Fellowship in Oregon, he had this to say. He says, if you start to pull away or kick back regarding withdrawing from the body of Christ, watch out, your usefulness will be diminished proportionately to your moving away from the body. And he continues, but the body's dead, you say. That's what the two Marys thought. When they came to the tomb to wrap jesus 's body in spices, they had no idea he would be resurrected. They were coming to minister to his dead body. That is why he goes on to say that he doesn 't believe it 's ever excusable for a person to say well i 'm not going to serve here because you know that church is kind of dead, or you know my old older church it was just it was alive and it was happening, and it was so great and it 's just you know the spirit's not really moving all that much there, and so you use that as an excuse for why you don't get involved or why you don't get plugged in. He says you can't use that. These ladies, they came to minister to a dead body, and maybe you're—I hope not—but maybe you're thinking, "Ah, oh, this this body is really not happening." That's not a good excuse. If you really want to be a servant like the women at the tomb, you'll minister faithfully regardless of of whether it's a live body or a dead body. They just came to serve. They were going to serve the dead body of Christ. And now I don't believe that this is a a dead body. You guys don't believe that this is a dead body. But I think the picture and the understanding comes across, right? I I like that. You know, I've seen the truth of this over and over in my years of ministry and serving Those that will show up with a heart to serve the body of Christ, guess what? They're more often than not the ones that God will use to impact his kingdom. It's that simple. Those that distance themselves from the body are unsurprisingly used less and less by the Lord. And I'm not talking about your salvation. Your salvation is not based upon coming to church and serving. But I'm talking about God using you. The more you come... With a willingness to serve the body of Christ, guess what? The more God's going to use you. And the more you say, "Well, I really don't you know, need to go to church or, you know, I got some other things that I want to do, it's more important." Guess what? Your opportunities are going to be less. Let's be people that follow the example of these ladies and be those that show up with a heart to serve the body of Christ and to be used by the Lord. Amen? Verse 9 and 10, we'll wrap this up. It says, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And so they came and led him by, held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. As the women were obedient to God's word that was delivered to them by the angel, of the, uh, the women were met by the Lord. This makes sense to me. You know, it's just simple. It adds up. Okay? That the Lord showed up as they were being obedient to deliver the message entrusted to them. That makes sense. It should come as no surprise that when people come with a heart to serve the Lord and they don't let obstacles keep them from coming, that when they come and seek the Lord and they see what He's done... And they go with a heart to tell others that they will indeed find the Lord. That should be a no-brainer for us. Those that will seek to find the Lord will find him. These ladies, they went in obedience to deliver God's message, and the Lord showed up. Jesus says to the ladies, rejoice. Uh, you know, can you imagine this scene in, in your mind's eye again? Here they're, they're running, right? They're running, they're all excited. And then all of a sudden, Jesus out of nowhere says, rejoice. You know, just it's like a, a, a greeting. Okay, and it's like, I'm, I just, I don't know, what would they, would they be dumbfounded? I was talking to my wife, I said, would they just be like, shock and awe? Or would they just start jumping up and down and being so excited? Like, oh my goodness. What do we, what do we know that they did? They, they fell at his feet and they worshipped him. What a beautiful end to the account of these ladies as you consider the ladies from start to, to finish and especially looking at you know the events of Friday and and the heartache that they felt and as they've come Sunday morning. They started off the day thinking that they were coming to anoint the dead body of Christ. They knew it was going to be difficult, that there was going to be obstacles, but they came anyways. As they arrived on scene, they were greeted by an angel that knew that they were seeking the Lord. He invited them to come and see what the Lord had done, and then he instructed them to go and tell others of uh, the wonderful news of what Christ had done. And they were obedient to God's message, and in so doing, they found themselves entering into the presence of Jesus and worshiping at his feet. I like that. That's cool. That's what I want in my life. And you know, that's what I want for all of your lives as well. I want us to be a a people that come to serve the Lord without obstacles. That we would be a people that seek the Lord, that come and see what God is doing, and we're excited about telling others about what the Lord is doing. That we would be an obedient people, that find ourselves being used by the Lord as we make ourselves available. And most importantly, that we would find ourselves entering into the presence of the Lord and worshiping at His feet. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, uh, these ladies here in Matthew bless my heart. Your word is so powerful, the example, their devotion, their commitment to you, uh, how you used them, Lord, is uh, amazing. Lord, I, I believe it's a picture of what you want to do in us as well, that you want to use us, Lord, that you want us to come, even though we've got obstacles in the way, and then trust that you can take care of those obstacles to come and, and see what you have done and to taste of, of your goodness and to want to share that with others. That we would be obedient to your word, trusting in your word. And we're obedient to it, Lord, we find ourselves in your presence, worshiping at your feet. Lord, as we sing this last song, I pray that we would just be able to enter into your presence even this morning at this time and worship Lord, thank you so much for the victory that you won over the grave, over death, and over sin. Lord, and that you've given us that victory through faith. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we pray that we would just be a blessing to you, that we would want to come and serve your body like these ladies did. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.